investment capital is very personal. And I think you can lose sight of that um, if you start to look at investment capital as a number. There, there's, a, there's trust that's required there. They've never done this before. There's education that's powerful and it's important there. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the professional investor. This is all they do. And they vet sponsors and they know how to do it and they're good at it and they're allocating to create diversity in their portfolio. And really what they're seeking is, I want every a piece of all these different asset classes and I'm just seeking the best sponsors in the space so that I can allocate um, you know, with relationships that I can lean on and trust. So uh, when you understand all of that, the, the first timer and the professional both require relationship and the nurturing and the constant, uh, and there's more relationship required after the investment than there is before. But what's this investment going to experience going to be like for the next 10 years as I'm invested with you? Like That's a really important component. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today is an expert in something that you need. I don't care what business you're in or even what you're doing almost. You need to know some of these things that he's going to share with us today. And ultimately, it's relationships, right? It's the relationship management piece. and But how that is leading to more deals and more capital in their business. And he, he just shares some some great tips on how they are doing that and some actionable steps. His name is Jack Martin. He's the co-founder of 5210, an Arizona real estate investment firm focused on mobile home parks. And his real estate journey spans thousands of properties across several asset classes. Jack and his partner established 5210 with core values that align with their own Midwestern values and conservative approach. Uh, but you're going to hear so many things from him today. Yes, lives in Arizona with their seven children, which you'll also hear a little bit also about. But I was so impressed with Jack and his focus on the relationship, but not only just with investors, but also with sellers uh, as well and what that has done for their business. Uh, you're going to find more deals if you just do some of these things that he mentions today. You're also going to be able to raise more money, more capital, and have better relationships with your investors. You're going to serve them better if you do some of the things, even one of the things he mentions today. Jack, welcome to the show. You have a superpower that it's relevant no matter what business you're in. I mean, it's so important that people know how to do what you know how to do. We're going to jump into that today. I want to know a little more about who Jack is, though. I know your focus is on mobile home parks. We're going to talk about why and some of those things about that asset class specifically. We're going to jump into your superpower that's going to help the listeners. But who's Jack? And let's hear a little bit about you know 5210 and who you all are as a company. Yep. So we're one of those uh, small boutique uh, real estate investment firms who had the uh, luxury or good fortune to trip into mobile home parks, which is an odd uh, asset class to focus on. Uh, my business partner and I are both Midwestern boys. So he grew up in, in Indiana. His, his parents were school teachers, but they owned a small rental portfolio. So he kind of grew up in that business. And I grew up in a huge family in the Midwest. I was a Minnesota boy, uh, 17 kids. So if you want, wow. yeah, that's right. So if you, you want something greater than what your uh, parents' budget can accommodate, well, then you just got to go uh, find some work and, and earn it yourself. So both of us come from that kind of hardworking Midwestern culture. Um, I grew up in real estate, you know, everything. I was general contractor and 
and got into land development. And then we started buying rental homes with a couple buddies and that grew into a couple thousand single family homes. And then I, then I got into uh, apartment complexes because that seemed like the obvious uh, next step to scale. And then I tripped over this thing called mobile home parks and here we are. So it's, um, yeah, I, and in our business, I manage the incoming lead generation. So deals and dollars. And uh, my business partner is the uh, operations guy. So he manages staff and systems and processes and and software and, and vertical integration and all those kind of things. And it, it's been a great partnership. You went through a lot really fast right there. But uh, <laughs> I have to ask, like, what number in 17 are you? I was number four. Well, I, okay. I always tell people I'm number one, but keep that between <laughs> us. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's awesome. Uh, I've not heard of that many kids too many times. But you scaled, uh, you said thousands of, of single family homes. You yeah, know? so we were, yeah, we were actually one of the larger wholesalers in the Phoenix metro area. So we didn't own all of those homes. Well, we did for a short period of time, but we didn't build a portfolio where we owned them. We were an aggregator. So yeah. we were essentially sourcing deals for other groups that were building portfolios. We built our own portfolio in the background, but uh, most of those assets were purchased, cleaned up, and then sold either as individual properties or in, in, in groups of properties yeah. to larger groups that were aggregating. Yeah. And then you moved to multifamily. Then then you also, you know, now obviously the focus on mobile home parks. How long have you been focused on mobile home parks and why? Why mobile home parks versus you know scaling the multifamily side? I love multifamily. Um, I I tripped over my first mobile home park in 2012. And I, uh, it was right next door to an apartment complex that that was vacant and the city wouldn't let you bring it back online unless it had adequate parking. Right next door, there was a mobile home park that had enough land to be the parking. So my thought was, hey, it's by this mobile home park. Let's focus on turning it into parking for this apartment. Uh, but long story short, the city was so difficult to work with that I just ended up owning a mobile home park instead. Mm. And it was small, but I learned all the lessons that, you know, there's a lot of uh, differences between mobile home parks and apartments, even though from the surface, it just seems like another version of, of multifamily. But because there's ownership, there's a lot of things that are different there. So you can't just kick out the tenants and start over. You know, they own those homes. So because you have tenant ownership, the, the behavior of the resident is different. Um, you know, management of the, of the real estate is different. There's so many things that are unique and different about that. But when I got to know it and I got my arms around it, I understood the intrinsic uh, recession resilient qualities that mobile home parks have i was i was smitten so i left what i was doing in the apartment space and i focus uh, completely on mobile home parks today speak to that just a little bit while you're while you're talking about the recession resilient piece obviously in the uh, you know the economic climate that we're in right now uh, speak to some of the things that you see about mobile home parks that maybe you don't see in other asset classes why it's so recession re resilient yeah, so I think I could speak to two things that are current, or at least in the recent history, that we can all kind of look back to um, because we're familiar with them. One of them is COVID, like how did uh, assets perform during COVID? And the other one is this current, you know, we're, we're here in uh, the late spring of 2023, and interest rates have gone, they've essentially doubled for, for homeowners. 
um, from a from an um, individual seeking a loan for for acquiring a home perspective. Um, during COVID, I mean, we're because we we're apartment guys, like we had uh, uh, quite a few relationships or friends of ours that were also in that space. Um, and our experience in Arizona is or was that when the governor put a moratorium for eviction in place, a percentage of your tenants start to play the game of, I don't have to pay the rent, so I'm not going to, knowing that, hey, eventually at the end of this, I'll probably get kicked out. But in the meantime, I get to live for free. So there's that, you know, s several of our, you know, relationships in the apartment industry were frustrated because they couldn't really do anything about it. Um, but when when we you look at the mobile home park space, like this, the difference is the same percentage of our residents um, were seeking to play the same game. They come into the office, they say, hey, we heard that there's a moratorium and you don't have to pay the rent. And so we, we just educated them like, yeah, that's true. But at the end, if you don't pay your rent, the penalty of not paying your rent is forfeiture of your home. So they're like, oh, yeah, we know. So it doesn't make, you know, there's no economic value in skipping a $400 rent payment to put your home at risk, right? So the, the outcome was we collected all the rent in 2020 during COVID. So it's just another example of when things get difficult, um, the the stability of cash flow in mobile home parks is something that is a little bit more predictable um, than than the our experience or our counterparts' experience in the same markets, you know, in in Arizona. So I know that there's other uh, apartment guys that I've talked to that collected ninety eight percent of their rent or whatever. So I know that there are guys who've been able to be successful there, but. Um, our experience is just a little bit more predictable in the mobile home park space. Because then on that, that tenant ownership, like you were talking about, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I think essentially, like their 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 um, their their mindset is different than a renter. They they their mindset is that of a of a homeowner. So it's just a little bit different. They don't want to move, yeah. but anybody who who has an opportunity to get free rent will take it. If they can, <laughs> right? right? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, we did have a handful of tenants that had a had a legitimate um, hardship. They lost their job, or they actually got COVID, or they had a family member with COVID, and we worked out a way for them to defer rent and and you know get back on track. Yeah. So I think there's still a human side of this that's important. Of course. Um, but most of the tenants were just looking for a way to skip rent. Yeah, that's really what was happening there. For sure. Um, well, I, I want us to I want us to jump into the thing that you focus on, right? The thing that you uh, you mentioned, you know, was your superpower, uh, you know, which is relationships and relationship management, and and you know what that has done for you. And, and I'd love to dive in there a little bit on and help the listeners and myself to learn from you in that regard, because I also believe it is so important. Uh, is and it's not an easy thing, right? It is a full time job. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, more than a full-time job, uh, depending on the, you know the scale. But you know, speak to what you do in that regard: relationship management, what that looks like for fifty-two ten, you know, and what you do on a daily basis. And let's dive into how you do some of those things so well. It's interesting that, especially when it well, there's two sides to the relationships in in my view in a business like ours in real estate. Um, one of those has to do with acquisitions. And the other one has to do with the raising of capital and the nurturing uh, of capital once you've raised it. Um, and we can speak to both of those. 
in in any business of this type, like I th- the it, it's my belief that there needs to be somebody with a constant focus on this, because if there's not, the business doesn't. The, you, first of all, you lose potential for opportunity. You know, if you're looking from the business outward, um, but then you also potentially lose credibility if you're looking from the outside in. So on the acquisition side, you know, to me the or at least in our experience, and this goes all the way back to the 2000 homes that we acquired, with the exception to the the auction environment where there was a time when there was 50 homes trading at the auction every day. There was no relationship really required there. It was just highest bidder wins, right? Um, but in most of the other acquisition strategies, it was a relationship with an attorney or as a relationship with um, a bird dog or a relationship directly with the owner of the property. And so it was that, that was a very important th- piece. And it doesn't change when you go from single family to multifamily from a $100,000 acquisition to a $10 million acquisition. Relationship is still important. I think the discovery is that if all things are equal, meaning I'm still going to get the same price, I would rather sell my property to somebody I like than somebody I don't know. So the relationship side of it on the acquisitions is extremely important. And that's both you know, with the owners of the assets that are not ready to sell yet. So building a relationship with them um, might put you in a position where you get the first phone call when they're ready. Or um, brokers who do deals that are not available to the public. So it's in the mobile home park business, especially like 90% of the transactions occur off market. So it's not, if you see something publicly listed for sale, you're only seeing 10% of, of the, the, the transactions that actually trade. So there's, and, and I don't know why that is, but that's just the way that it is. So it becomes exceptionally important in this business. <clears throat> if you're going to have a wide funnel of deal flow, which is really important. It's important to the growth of the business. It's important to the investment capital that you are you have you know ability to source great deals so that you can pass up ninety nine and purchase the one. So it's a really important part of the business there. On the on the um, capital raising side, investment capital is very personal, and I think you can lose sight of that. Um, if you start to look at investment capital as a number. So when somebody is seeking to invest, I mean, there's a a, a wide uh, range of experience when it comes to investors. So you have the first-time investor who's never done this before, and they're recently accredited, and they're seeking to divest from the stock market, and they're looking to get into something alternative as a hedge against you know the volatility. There, there's there's trust that's required there. They've never done this before. There's education that's powerful and it's important there. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the professional investor. This is all they do. And they vet sponsors and they know how to do it and they're good at it and they're allocating to create diversity in their portfolio. And really what they're seeking is, I want every a piece of all these different asset classes and I'm just seeking the best sponsors in the space so that I can allocate um, you know, with relationships that I can lean on and trust. So uh, when you understand all of that, the the first timer and the professional both require relationship. 
and the nurturing and the constant, uh, and there's more relationship required after the investment than there is before. So, you know, yeah. just the sales piece of it, like, yeah, that's important. But what's this investment going to experience going to be like for the next 10 years as I'm invested with you? Like, that's a really important component. Yeah. Well, let's speak to that a little bit. I know, uh, I mean, I, actually, I want to back up to the acquisition side just a little bit. I could see you're talking about 90% of the transactions being in mobile home parks, you know, not not being not public. Uh, and it, it seems like to me, if the majority of, and I don't know if the if it's the majority now or not, uh, you would probably know this, but like uh, of mobile home park owners are mom and pop type owners, right? I could see I could see them being more likely or feeling more comfortable with just selling this to somebody, getting to know them, especially like you're talking about the relationship here, right? Especially somebody I like. I've owned this park for 50 years. I poured my heart and soul into this thing. I know every piece about this. I've changed, you know, I've done everything. I know all these people personally, so I really care about them. And and I can find somebody that I feel like I trust. I'm even probably going to take a discount to to give it, you know, to sell it to them, right? And and not have to go through all the the steps of, of marketing it. Would you agree yeah, with that? Uh, potentially. And I, I think that, you know, what when you sift through the the type of assets that you're seeking to acquire, like you can go from, you know, 50,000 mobile home parks in America down to maybe like a thousand that I would actually buy. Yeah. Based on size, type of property, location, market, all those kind of things. Um, and then when you go through sifting through the ownerships, like half of those are probably professional owners or or um, institutional kind of faceless owners, or let's say personality, void of personality. It's just a business, right? Um, the mom and pop piece of this is still very much the case, but it's not as much as it once was. I mean, the consolidation yeah. from mom and pop to institutional ownership has has been underway for quite some time and it's gotten quite a bit of momentum over the last five years. Um, but I do agree with that. So like when you're talking to an owner and he's, he knows all the tenants, he built the property. Uh, he's, he has a relationship with all these people. And then he sees the horror stories out there of this faceless wall street firm that buys parks and, and they, they, they treat the, the tenants as a number now instead of a human. Like they're concerned about that. And it's more important to them that somebody carries on the legacy of what they've created than it is to get the highest price. Like that that possibly could be the case. Um, I just know that typically the the acquisitions that we've made when we've worked directly with the owner, um, th- that that element has absolutely been present. Sure. Give us give us one or two actionable steps to you know managing that relationship well with a seller. I think uh, consistency is a uh, is important. So you know, I believe that nothing replaces a, a a phone call or a meeting in person. So everybody can send out some kind of mailer piece, and and we've actually purchased properties where there's a sh- there's a box like a cardboard box with hundreds and hundreds of mailer pieces in it. So they were saving them because at some point, you know, they were saying, when I'm ready to sell, maybe I'll go through these and start making some phone calls. Um, but I, 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 I truly believe that you, it's difficult to create relationship with a mailer. You can create brand awareness if you're constantly uh, mailing. 
Um, but nothing replaces the relationship. So, I mean, some of the properties that we've purchased, uh, I was going out to breakfast on a quarterly basis with the owner. I actually like them, really <laughs> like them. And we built a relationship and we're still friends post the, the sale. Um, and I, I think you can, you, that, that goes so far beyond the box full of, of mailers. There's just no comparison. So it's a lot of work. It's, it, it's, it takes dedication and regularity and consistency. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, much like having a daily podcast. <laughs> Every single day you do this. That's what? not easy to do. It takes a, a high degree of commitment. Yeah, intentionality, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So let's move to the capital raising and nurturing side of that a little bit. Loved what you said. You know, investment capital is very personal. You know, it's not a number. Uh, and so, you know, speak to, or I guess before we even say, you know, some some specific things that you do. But what about what's the biggest source of new investors for you right now? How are, how are people finding you? How are new investors finding fifty two TM? Well, there's two sources. One is from within so anyone who you you focus on giving your existing investors a good experience they they will most likely open their mouth and and share that with others so i would say that's probably the the most consistent source we've been doing this for a while so it takes a bit to get that momentum from within Um, but the other side of it is education so I, i discovered early somebody gave me some advice and i can't remember who it was um, I think it was an apartment syndicator from from Indianapolis. I think it was um, that told me, Jack, the most important thing you can do to to show your character and who you really are is to educate. So I began doing that on bigger pockets initially, and the intention was completely avoid the urge or the impulse or the desire to pitch your deals. Don't do it. Instead, take all of the great lessons that you've learned through your experience in mobile home parks, which is a unique niche. So there's not that many folks that do it and do it at scale. And go share this with others that are getting into the business and potentially about to make the same mistakes that you made. Go share that. So I would seek out threads on bigger pockets that were, um, you know, clearly some less experienced person asking a question about something that I knew that I had experience around. And then instead of giving a short answer, spend uh, intentional time. I did this in the evenings and weekends. I sacrificed a lot of personal time to do this, but long form, thorough, meaningful answers that uh, allowed them to, it's kind of passing it on. It's a little bit of, of, um, got to plug my computer in here. Just give me the warning. Uh, but it's a little bit of of um, that whole give and life gives back perspective that don't expect anything to come of this. Just go give and give from the heart and share perspectives so that those people who are about to trip on one of those traps can avoid it. So I spent a ton of energy there. Um, and then we, we, we built our business to a spot where, you know, we could hire some professional marketing help and they encouraged me to write, um, educational articles. So I began doing that at cadence. Um, you know, once a quarter was kind of the cadence. So I didn't have a ton of time to do it, but it was before chat GPT. So you, you actually had to sit down and write the whole thing out yourself. 
you know, now you can write the draft in 20 minutes with, you know, with the technology that's out today. But what uh, was the outcome of that was, was, you know, people could really get to know who we are uh, from from the content that was on the internet, right? You're adding value, right? I mean, you're yeah, consistently right. adding value to others. Uh, no doubt about it. I've seen so many do that. That's that's a big way we've done it as well. Um, that's right. In some, in some different ways. Uh, and so, yeah, educating others. I love what you said to about, you know, the most important thing you do is educate others, but then you said uh, completely avoid pitching your deals. Uh, and I just think that it just speaks volumes, right? Uh, when you're people come to you because you're adding value, right? You don't even have to tell them about your deal, then, right? You've already like they've already, they already have built such a layer of trust there uh, because of just the way you've given to them, uh, as as opposed to what what it would feel like if you had just come at them with your deal. It was really interesting when I started the very first mobile home park that we syndicated. I just started calling everybody in my phone and it was a, it was a pitch fest and it was so hard to raise capital that way. And what I've discovered is, I mean, that was seven or eight years ago, but you fast forward um, when you do it right and you add value first and you spend your time educating others on the asset classes and the whys and, and, and it's not just the real estate. I mean, that's, I think there's, a half a dozen things that are critical that an investor should get clear on prior to making a decision to invest. Only one of them is the asset class, the type of real estate. There's, you know, half a dozen others around that that they should be getting clear on. So you don't necessarily need to add value and educate people just with respect to the type of real estate that we you work on. It's important because uh, it Investors are seeking to invest with somebody who's an expert at what they do. You know, the first time investor, it's hard. You know, the question that I would get from the most common question was, Jack, how many of these have you syndicated? Well, this is my first one. Well, call me back in five years when you've done a thousand units. So that was a, it was a tough one, but it was part of, that's part of it. Experienced investors, they want to see a track record. So, uh, and today, I mean, the irony is today, those people are still following me and now they're investing with me because they've been watching me for five years build this business and build all of the vertical integration and, um, you know, report on time and deliver K1s on time and all that stuff that they know is important post-investment. Um, but most investors um, are so focused on the yield that they miss that. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.